New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. The greatest rap song of all time and basically came out right after I had founded the Guardian Angels back in February of 1979. We'll be approaching uh 43rd anniversary, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. By the way, Kevin, can you give that a brisk there? We got too much of that lead-in music uh, on my cut uh, chart. Man, I want that getting right into it. Because it's a description of what life was like up in the Bronx. Growing up in the tenements and the projects in the early 80s, the gangbangers everywhere, chaos, mayhem, anarchy. And isn't that what we're facing now? I'm going to read you a few of the headlines just within the time that I was away. Because, you know, so nice. I came back to do it twice. I left here after doing a shift from 12 midnight to 5 in the morning. Went out there, rode the trains a while, the E-Train, which is the moving, uh, the moving hotel, uh, especially when it's below freezing. That's where all the homeless and the EDPs go, emotionally disturbed persons, because it's underground. It's the only subway line that's underground from the last stop, which is the World Trade Center, all the way to the first stop, which is Jamaica Station in Queens. We're going to get to that story momentarily. But with all the chaos... With all the craziness going on in this city, and we're going to touch on all of them. The Let's Hug a Dog, a DA of Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, to the murderer, the cold-blooded execution of the 19-year-old cashier at the Burger King on 116th and Lexington Avenue in East Harlem, to a whole host of other uh, situations, social, cultural, public safety issues that have plagued this city during the eight years where former Mayor Bill de Blasio took a uh, Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and destroyed the city that we love. All the gains that were made by my Kumbada Cheech for eight years, Rudy Giuliani, who had the toughest of all jobs turning around the city from the days of David Dinkins, where we averaged 2,000 murders a year, 5,000 shootings, most of them unsolved, to Michael Bloomberg over 12 years, uh, and then he turned it over to Bill de Blasio, and it's been chaos ever since. And the first few weeks of the uh, Eric Adams administration have not really been any better other than Eric Adams is like, bing, 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 ricochet rabbit, actually showing up at a lot of these events, but not yet really putting any initiatives into place. First, before we go anywhere today, the hawk is talking out there. It is cold, freezing. Guys, you better give me uh, different headphones here because I'm going to take them out of the sockets here. I'm going to throw them against the window because they're just not working. Got to have good working headphones here because 
My ears are frozen. My nose is frozen. The hawk is talking, which means that, uh, well, actually, it's a uh, euphemism based on what used to happen in the south shore of Chicago at the jazz clubs. Louis Armstrong and the other black uh, artists and musicians would come in, and because it was so cold, 40 degrees below zero, all of a sudden, they would tell the audience, you got to give me at least five to ten minutes. My lips are frozen because the hawk is talking outside. So with all these weather issues taking place, with everything happening uh, from homelessness to the emotionally disturbed to the crimes that are being committed, all I hear every day here at this station and at every other station that I listen to, to because I love talk radio, I don't watch TV. No, no, no. The wife, the hipster millennial, my wife, Nancy, has cut the cord like a lot of hipsters and millennials have. So I listen to talk radio. I just want to play for you a, a sort of trifecta, Troy Trinity of three cuts I've heard recently of people extolling the virtues of New York City. I don't know if they do it out of habit, if it's a knee-jerk reaction. But listen to this nonsense. Listen to this nonsense. We are in New York City, greatest city in the world. And it's still beautiful, John. You know, we go out for dinner all the time and great restaurants. It's still the greatest city in the world. In the greatest city in the world, in the heart of the greatest city of the world, New York City, I am absolutely prejudice when it comes to the greatest city of the world my heart and soul is in new york could they say it anymore if you're in this city if you're like me you cut my veins and arteries i'm a son of the city i'm a son of the soil i'm out there can you really say that this is the greatest city in the world just walking around side streets main avenues the number of storefronts closed for lease for rent signs the number of emotionally disturbed persons who were roaming around, a threat to themselves and everyone else. We're going to get into the lead story that happened just hours ago when I left these studios over in Times Square in the subway system, right on the platform of the NQ&R train, where a deranged uh, African-American guy that I know, I've seen many times in the system, pushed an Asian woman in front of the train, killing her, uh, and it always seems with 16% of the overall population in New York City, the Asian community, growing in numbers, they're the ones who are getting attacked every which way, in the streets, uh, in the subways, at the bus stops, in the stores, you name it. It seems if you had to do an over-under point spread and predict who would be attacked, it's more likely going to be a Asian man, Asian woman, generally like uh, 45 plus, but it's happening all over the place. Can you really say this is the greatest city in the world? At 11 o'clock at night, it's dead. Try to find a store that's open. It's dead. This used to be the city that never slept 24-7-365. I challenge anybody out there, anybody, to explain what these three talk show hosts have said. Other callers say, oh, we'll be back. We'll rebound after 9-11. No, no, it's not 9-11. This is two straight years of decline. Taking a roller coaster ride. Last August, we were told, you don't have to wear masks, remember? You don't have to wear masks because if you have your vaccine, you know, we're well on our way to herd immunity. We're well on our way to freedom. Footloose and fancy free. It was like summer solstice. I was running for mayor of the city of New York at that time. I brought in the uh, disco group. 
the tramps, Disco Inferno. We had an outdoor exposition in which we were burning masks. I ended up burning my hand because these freaking masks wouldn't go up in smoke. And we'll be talking about the panoply of masks now that you're being told are just not functional, are just not workable, should not be used. I get a good belly laugh out of that. But can anybody tell me why this is the greatest city in the world? Can anybody with a straight face... Give me a list of reasons why we are the greatest city in the world. As people continue the exodus to Florida, to Georgia, to North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. If this city was so great, uh, they'd all be flooding in here. Flat. i got to be in New York City, you know, the greatest city in the world, the city that never sleeps, 24-7-365, with the best restaurants, the best gin mills, the best nightclubs, with an energy that's scintillating. It ain't here. It just ain't here. Notice, nobody is responding. Well, you don't have to disagree with me, you know, because I know you're not promoters. Uh, you don't get paid to be part of the promotional team that's trying to compare the city of New York to other similar cities all over the globe. But tell me why this is the greatest. Can I hear that again? Let me hear that. The panoply of different talk show hosts, almost like a knee-jerk reaction. It almost seems like maybe it's like stuck in their throat. You know, it's sort of like a time machine. uh, And they're just repeating what they heard as little kids when they were growing up in the 50s, 60s, or 70s. We are in New York City, greatest city in the world. And it's still beautiful, John. You know, we go out for dinner all the time and great restaurants. It's still the greatest city in the world. In the greatest city in the world, (laughs) in the heart of the greatest city of the world, New York City. I am absolutely (laughs) prejudiced when it comes to the greatest city of the world. My heart and soul is in New York. Shut up. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's too cold out 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 there. The hawk is talking. I gotta wear my my hip hugging boots when I hear statements like that. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. So let's go to the story of the day because this is my sweet spot. Uh, and remember, I don't sleep. There'll be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. And when anybody is dead out there, what do they do? They fold your arms over. So if you're observant, they give you a dirt bath. They put you in the sheet, boom, uh, in the ground you go. Uh, If you have a more traditional style wake or funeral, you know, people pass by who knew you and say, oh, never looked better. The guy was a jerk in real life, but never. the mortician did a great job. They put a half suit and half shoes on you. They close the casket. And what are you doing when you're six feet under in a casket or like I'll be at the rate? I'm going, uh, not a pine box, but a cardboard box on uh, in Potter's Field. You sleep. I know, oh, I know, you're waiting for the return of the Mashiach. <laughs> yeah, knock yourself out. You'll keep waiting. In the meantime, you sleep. And it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. <laughs> the greatest city in the world. So, in the greatest city of the world this morning, and to his credit, Eric Adams uh, ran to the scene, unlike uh, Comrade Bill de Blasio, who would have been sleeping at about 10 o'clock in the morning. <sighs> you know, from smoking that Maui Wowie and Hindu Kush all night when he was on the back porch of Gracie Mansion with his old lady Charlene, and they were doing Puff Puff Pass. You know, to his credit, Eric Adams is like energetic. Seven days a week, he'll be up and at him at 6 in the morning, 
And then he loves to sample the nightlife, as he says. We'll go into that later on and why he insists on having his brother, Bernard Adams, his younger sibling, to be the head of his security detail. I got I to gotta tell you, see, can I tell everybody a secret? I was trying to help Eric Adams. You know, okay, it was adversarial in the mayoral campaign. He called me a racist, a clown. He called me a buffoon, a liar. Okay, that's all part of a race. I wanted to help Eric Adams. When I heard him have that press conference and describe why he needed the services of his brother, a former 20-year veteran as a sergeant of the NYPD, who was parking cars down at Commonwealth University in Virginia, how he needed to summon him up because... Greatest danger to his welfare and health were white supremacists, right? You all heard that. I spent the last week at a white sheet sale at Bed Bath & Beyond because I figured if you're a white supremacist, because I haven't seen many in New York City. In fact, I don't even think they're here anymore. Where would they go? They'd want to go to the white sheet sale, right, at Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, put on their Klan plan outfit. Uh, no, no white supremacists, but a lot of the... Uh, uh, clerks at Bed Bath & Beyond was saying to me, Curtis, what are you doing here? I couldn't say I was there for that. So I said, you know, a lot of shoplifting, right? I'm here to help help the store. I said, yeah, we've had. And then they spent like a half hour giving me a litany of shoplifting horror stories that they've suffered, how the NYPD wouldn't even come. And actually, uh, the slacker, uh, Alvin Bragg, the new Manhattan DA, who just wants to hug its dog. Oh, I want to hug you. Oh, please, I don't want to incarcerate you. I want restorative justice. Oh, you, t- you, you took a gun to my head when I was growing up in Harlem. I forgive you. I forgive you. And don't kill anybody, because then I'll be forced to lock you up. You know, don't be bringing in a lot of guns as a store purchaser. Don't be bringing in weight uh, as a, a drug user or a drug dealer. You know, pounds, uh, ounces, uh, yeah, but kilos, no. And actually, you better have not, better not have the name Trump. Because if you're a Trump, I'm going to spend all the resources of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to prosecute uh, the former president, uh, his, uh, his uh, children, any of his business concerns, because that's all they did. It's Cyrus White Shoes fans when he was the Manhattan DA who had a whole list of non-prosecutable offenses. They never tell you that. He did that, except Alvin Bragg, who campaigned on this to become the Manhattan DA, did he wanted to hug thugs. We're all shocked. He was in a debate right here at WABC with eight, count them, eight of the Democrats running for the Manhattan District Attorney uh, slot in the Democratic primary. And he said, I'm turning them loose. Alvin Bragg, I want to hug Doug's. And the two other people who were the second and third place performers, a woman named Weinstein, a woman named, uh, I think it was Abushi, first Palestinian-American to run for office, they too wanted to hug Doug's. There was really no difference between them and Alvin Bragg. Seventy-six percent of the Democrats in the primary voted for Alvin Bragg, and the two who were behind him, who were actually the same, they want restorative justice. They want to hug thugs in Manhattan. They want to turn them loose. Maybe that's why it's time <laughs> that you do the bird. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's quickly go to Peter in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here. The hawk is talking out there, Peter. You know, you were talking about how the city isn't so great, and you're kind of breaking my heart. I mean, first off, you're an example of why the city is great. The angels, guardian angels—that's another example. I've seen it many times in my life, and 
You know, I'm driving here out on Central Ave, going up to Westchester to one of the best pizza joints in the country. No, 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 hold on, hold, hold on. You're talking about all the greatness in the five boroughs, and yet you're going up to Central Avenue, right, in Westchester to a pizzeria when you could have easily done that in the Bronx. Why are you going up to Westchester? Maybe because you don't have to show identification, a vaccine passport, and have 52 diapers on your face in order to get entrance, huh, Peter? Yeah, Peter's quiet. (laughs) Man, I shut him down! Oh, no, 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 New York City is great. But meantime, where is he going for pizzeria? Because they're not enforcing rules and regulations in Westchester, Nassau, Suffolk, uh, New Jersey like they are here. No. He's going up to Westchester. Instead of getting a slice and a Coke in the Bronx, uh, in Morris Park, Belmont, Arthur Avenue. Why? Well, why is he going up to Westchester if it's still the greatest city in the world? Uh, he ain't coming back. Uh, he'll probably keep driving. 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Y'all feel like going back to your high school days? I can't hear you. feel like going back. What about them college days, huh? Some of y'all, we going back a little further than that. We going back to your grammar school day. Huh? Okay, we going to take you back to no day. Some of y'all didn't have no day. See if you can remember what you was doing. This is going out to all the lovers in the house. On Mother's Day, put your arm around your young lady and hold her real close to you. Give her a little sugar while you're at it. As we sing. As he said, the coldest thing. I remember, oh yeah, yeah, the signs of springtime. Ah, the shy lights. I could do without all the leading. Uh, Would you tell, uh, would you tell, (laughs) we need to truncate this song. God, I got to be on top of everything here. I got to hear the Shy Lights life story first before it gets into the coldest day of my life. Because it is cold out there. The hawk is talking. Let's get right uh, to the calls. I've said, oh, the greatest city. Can I hear that panoply of all these hoes talking about how great New York City is? Do they walk the streets? Do they ride the subways? Do they actually not have window shades on their eyes, cotton balls in their ears, and a zipper on their mouth? We are in New York City, greatest city in the world. And it's still beautiful, John. You know, we go out for dinner all the time and great restaurants. It's still the greatest city in the world. In the greatest city in the world, in the heart of the greatest city of the world, New York City, I am absolutely prejudiced when it comes to the greatest city of the world. All right, My enough, enough so- of this nonsense. Tookish kissing. And the first caller we got was from the Bronx. And where was he going to a pizzeria? Was he going to Morris Park? No. Was he going to uh, Arthur Avenue, Belmont? No. He was going up to Central Avenue. <laughs> in Yonkers.
Vegas in Westchester because he didn't have to show a vax passport. He didn't have to show personal ID. He didn't have to have three depends stuck on his face like you have to in New York City. And he, remember, he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't. Oh, no. <laughs> he realized Curtis got me. Oh, here we got uh, another sucker. I mean, uh, another caller. Uh, Gino in the Bronx, who I guess is going to make the case why New York City is the greatest city in the New world. A no talented numbskull like you would never have had your own radio show. You hypocritical hyena. How dare you criticize New York City? They made you. Without New York City, you would never have been on your own show. You wouldn't have had the Guardian Angels. You wouldn't have had a, a talent that, that, that only a numbskull like you could make it in New York City and have his own radio show when I should have replaced you 10 years ago. You hypocritical hyena. How dare you criticize New York City? Uh, Gino, Gino, calm down. Take your liquid Prozac, your high blood pressure medication. Just tell me why New York City right now is the greatest city in the world. Can you do that, Gino? Couldn't. So that's two guys, two Gabons from the Bronx, who tried to explain why New York City is still the greatest city in the world, and they couldn't. Anybody out there else want to try? God, how did you say that? Do you not see what's going on in our city? Are you oblivious? Are you not connected? Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Manhattan, the tri-state area. People are staying home. They'd rather do their work from their home. They have a better quality of life. They can be just as productive. They're spending more time with their families. They're shopping and patronizing businesses, retail and wholesale in their communities. The mayor, Eric Adams, was shouting at big business, what, about a week ago? you got to get your workforce back into their office spaces behind their desks. Then he realized that wasn't going to happen. So he said, please, pretty please, maybe three days a week, three out of five. <laughs> They're not going to come back here because it's not the greatest city in the world any longer. In order to deal with a problem, you have to acknowledge to yourself, we're in a severe nosedive. We have a better mayor now than we had for eight years. There's no doubt about it. Uh, with blemishes and faults that I'm going to go through momentarily, Eric Adams. But he's already ten times better than Sleepyhead. Uh, the guy who loved doing Puff Puff Pass most of the day, Bill de Blasio, and his wife, Charlene, who ripped off one and a quarter billion dollars from a Thrive program that was supposed to deal with the emotionally disturbed persons, like the guy we saw earlier today on the NQ&R platform in Times Square, who I know, I've seen before, I've had conversations, I've seen him have psychotic disorders, who pushed an Asian woman into an oncoming train, she's dead. And let's face it, out of all the groups that are victimized in New York City, you're most likely to be victimized as part of the 16% in New York City, the growing population of Asians. That's just the reality of what's happening. (laughs) Boy, nobody nobody is out there who wants to make the argument. Well, let's go to Pete uh, on the Major Deegan. Your turn to be heard. The hawk is talking out there, Pete. How are you? Uh, wait a second, Pete. Uh, I got to smack you around a little bit. There's a, a, a certain code of conduct as phone callers that you have to make, which is don't ever ask me how I'm doing because my knee-jerk reaction is I've had better days. Kabish? Kabish, Pete? Kabish? Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. Hello? 
Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you, Pete. Ooh. Ah, see, Pete, I don't know. These guys, they want to make the argument that New York City is the greatest city in the world. And then all of a sudden, they get a brain fart. Or they realize what they're saying sounds stupid. And by golly, I don't want to be on the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, the most powerful news talk station in the nation, which when um, you're listening at night, at dusk, and boy, I dominate the airwaves on the weekends. I was on five hours from 12 midnight to 5 this morning. Tonight I'll return 12 midnight to 6. And then on Sunday nights, I'll be on from uh, 9 o'clock till I turn over the uh, microphones to the Mama Luke, uh, Frank Morano, for the other side of midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, Monday. And that last hour seems to be the most listened to hour of the nighttime activities That's when we talk about animals Uh, with my wife, Nancy, an animal rescuer, animal welfare activist. Talk about all kinds of animal issues. It could be dogs or cats. It could be dolphins, like we're going to be talking about uh, uh, tomorrow night. (laughs) The Israeli IDF forces weaponized a dolphin. And Hamas is saying, it killed some of our warriors, a dolphin. We'll talk about how dolphins are being weaponized all over the world. By not just the Israeli Defense Forces, but the Soviets of uh, Putin. I know, I know they're Russians, but to me, they're always the Soviets. Our own military and some of our allies. Anyway, uh, let's go to Troy in Brooklyn. Uh, we're going for soon the Quinella, five callers. Uh, Troy, is New York City still the greatest uh, city in the world, Troy? Uh, overhyped slogan of greatest city in the world. But the reason why it's really not the greatest city in the world is very, very, very simple. How do you treat the weakest and the most vulnerable people in your city, right? That's a simple analysis. And when you look at New York through that particular spectrum, it's clearly not the greatest city in the world. It has a lot of good restaurants and a a lot of tall buildings and shiny lights and stuff. But it's hard for me to just say it's the greatest city in the world when you allow and even uh, uh, cultivate this type of treatment for the people who need the most help. You have a good day, Curtis. You're right on, Troy. And in fact, uh, Eric Adams, um, if he connects the dots on this issue of this uh, homeless, emotionally disturbed man, a guy I've met many times in the subway system and in the streets, who pushed an Asian woman in front of a a moving subway at about 10 o'clock this morning on the platform of the NQNR train in Times Square. Uh, If he uses the fact that we are at below freezing weather and will be so for the next few days, uh, you can declare a health emergency and then immediately have whatever personnel you have uh, go out and remove the homeless people from the subways, uh, bring them to shelters, and the emotionally disturbed, bring them to municipal hospitals, could be Bellevue, could be Elmhurst, could be Kings County, could be Jacoby, and get them a psychiatric observation. And um, if they're a danger to themselves or anyone else, uh, they could be remanded for 90 days for psychiatric care and continued observation. Take advantage of this cold snap. It's in the best interest of everyone, most importantly, these lost souls who should not be living in subways, who should not be roaming the streets or living in parks, uh, who are a menace to themselves and, most importantly, everyone else. Now, you used to have 
the homeless outreach squad at the NYPD. These were trained men and women in uniform. They had a borough command in each of the five boroughs. And they knew how to deal with the emotionally disturbed. They knew how to deal with the homeless. They'd go into the shelters. They'd go into the makeshift hotels that were set up during uh, coronavirus. Uh, and they knew a lot of the homeless people, uh, first, first name basis. So what did de Blasio and city council do when they defunded the billion dollars from the NYPD? Guess what? Uh, not heavily advertised or not heavily promoted. They disbanded the NYPD homeless outreach unit. That did magnificent work. And as a result of disbanding them, you see that many more homeless people out in the streets, the subways, and the parks. That many more emotionally disturbed persons roaming about. And remember, at the height of the lockdown and pandemic, in March of 2020, they discharged emotionally disturbed persons from the municipal hospitals, the state hospitals, the private hospitals, because they needed the beds. I got it. They didn't have enough beds. There were people who were dying, who were being put on respirators, who there was an emergency situation. Other patients who didn't have COVID-related symptoms were being discharged. The problem is, once things normalized, once things leveled off, they never went back and got the clients to bring them into their hospital system for continued psychiatric treatment in the private hospitals, in the municipal hospitals, and the state hospitals. Anyway, let's go, if we can, uh, to um, hmm, Jay in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here. Is the Hawk talking up there in Carter, Westchester, I, Jay? I agree with you 100%. City is not what, what it used to be. I've been in there for 30 years. Question to you is why can't Adams get his force and sweep the transit system of homeless, also the main transit hubs? And secondly, is Hochul the only person that can recall Bragg? Uh, yes, in fact, I'll, I'll deal with that. I'll bifurcate it. First, let's deal with the issue of what Eric Adams can do. Yes, he can sweep the homeless and the emotionally disturbed out of the subway systems. Again, he can use the fact that it's below freezing. It's a health care emergency. He could do that. The problem that Eric Adams has is he does the double dutch. He never goes the whole way. So he recently had a press conference uh, with uh, the brand-new governor, Kathy Hokum. That's what you should call her, because Hokum means nonsense, and that's what she's full of, instead of Hokel. Uh, and they announced that there would be a uh, bipartisan way. I guess that's the best way to phrase it, a bipartisan way of dealing with the continued growing numbers of emotionally disturbed and homeless in the subway systems and riding the buses, that, in fact, the NYPD would just do policing. It wouldn't deal with homeless or emotionally disturbed. And the state would send in a crack group of mental health care experts. Now, it'll probably take a month of Sundays, first of all, to find the money for it, and then to train these personnel. And they and they alone would deal with the homeless and the emotionally disturbed. That makes no sense. The people who are going to come across the emotionally disturbed and the homeless in the subway system, first and foremost, are the cops. You used to have the homeless outreach uh, unit of the NYPD, professionally trained men and women. They're still in the ranks. They were just reassigned. When uh, de Blasio and city council defunded the NYPD by a billion dollars, they disbanded the homeless outreach unit. All you have to do is assemble those men and women again. Let them go out and do their jobs. They're very proficient. You don't have to train a new squad. And I'm not going to expect that the state is going to deal with the homeless and emotionally disturbed. 
Eric Adams, you can't have it both ways. You can't do the double dutch. Look, I could give the guy advice. I'm more street smart than he is. I know more places in the city. Uh, remember, he just started to ride the subway. By the way, he rode the subway one time. Remember on the first day, good job. He was on the J train. He ran into an emotionally disturbed person, a homeless person, uh, a person who was uh, drunk and disorderly. Uh, remember, he had to call in 911. There were three uh, three Latinos in the streets uh, fighting outside the Mickey's, Mickey D's on Kosciusko. We haven't seen him on the subway since. Oh, that's probably because his brother Bernard is not in charge of his intel. As we were told, the reason he needed to have his brother Bernard at $210,000 a year to uh, protect him is because of the threat of white supremacists. I didn't know it existed. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. We spent a whole freaking week, of which I'll never get that time back again in my life, roaming the aisles of Bed Bath & Beyond because they had a white sheet sale figuring if you were a white supremacist, right, you'd take advantage of the white sheet sale at Bed Bath & Beyond and then telling the clerks, oh, I'm here, I'm here to stop the shoplifting. And say, thank you, thank you, Curtis. They're coming in every day like locusts through the cornfield. There are no white supremacists out there. Come on, knock it off, Eric Adams. Stop the bull feathers. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Great jam, reminding me of that great documentary, Woodstock. Oh, there it was, Leslie West, Felix Papagliardi. Leslie West, better known as Leslie Weinstein, that's right, from Forest Hills. No Corky Lang at the time on drums. This was an absolutely great song, along with all the other performers. And the question is to all of you, because I always ask trivia. Who was the promoter of Woodstock who was featured in the documentary that I saw uh, 1970, and was mesmerized. No, I didn't go uh, uh, up the New York State Thruway. I didn't join the 500,000 and the 32 groups that performed. But who is the promoter, a Brooklyn boy who just passed? We need to pay our respects because that was peace, love, and happiness. Unlike Altamont, where Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones just three months later tried to recreate that at the uh, racetrack near Livermore in California, and instead had the Hells Angels there who were beating up the crowd, and there was all kinds of violence that even the Grateful Dead, the featured group, beloved on the West Coast, wouldn't even get on the stage and said, hey, man, this is like a prison riot at Folsom or San Quentin. (laughs) We're not going up there. See, a little blast from the past. But let's deal with uh, Alvin Bragg, the new Manhattan DA, who loves to hug thugs. I want to love thugs. I want to turn them loose. What could be done in order to eliminate Alvin Bragg? Well, we can't depend on Mayor Eric Adams. All of a sudden, suddenly he lost his manhood. He lost his voice. He lost his huevos when dealing with Alvin Bragg. This is recently what he had to say about the hugger thug Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. 
I like Alvin. He was a great prosecutor. Uh, I believe that he's going to be a good district attorney, and I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with him as we build out uh, what we need to do around public safety so that we're all on the same page. Oh, so weak. So soft, Eric. So disappointing. And I know why. You're not going to be hard on him. Look, Alvin Bragg said there are four things that he is going to prosecute. Everyone else gets turned loose. Uh, if you're a gun runner across state lines, you know, you bring in your straw purchaser. Okay. He's going to go after you if you're bringing in uh, not, uh, not ounces, uh, but kilos. Going to go after you, you know, if you're a narco-terrorist. Okay, got that. If you name Trump, anybody named Trump or any business affiliated with Trump, you're going to carry on the policy of Cyrus White Shoes Vans, who not only turned the criminals loose, he just didn't advertise it. He just had a list of uh, crimes that they're not going to prosecute, like the other DAs, all five of them in New York. Uh, And lastly, he said he's going after political crimes. Now, if you happen to be Eric Adams, and uh, City Hall is located in Manhattan, and you have some questionable appointments like Philip Banks, who's hopelessly corrupt and should have been in jail. And you put him on as deputy mayor in charge of public safety. That's double trouble. And then it's your chief of staff, Frank Carone, of the crooked, the lawyer for the crooked Democratic Kings County Democratic machine that is so crooked when they all die of greed. You're going to have to get a, a, a black and decker power drill and drill them into the ground, especially on a day like today. Where that sod is frozen. So he's got to be careful. Because if he goes after Alvin Bragg, Alvin can say, hmm, uh, he's in my venue. He's in my, uh, my wheel well. Oh, oh, yeah, I can always give you the backstory, not just read from the headlines like other talk show hosts or hostesses. But let's also go to what can be done to remove Alvin Bragg. The governor has the ability to do that, Holcomb. In fact, years ago, George Pataki, when he was governor, unexpectedly beating the face of the Democratic Party, uh, Mario Faccia Bruta Como, uh, he said to D.A. Johnson in the Bronx, hey, look, this guy just executed staff in the shoe store, White Plains Road, under the number two train. How come you're not going for a death penalty charge? And D.A. Johnson, who unfortunately is now a judge, turn him loose prosecutor, turn him loose judge, said, no, 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 I don't believe in the death penalty. So George Pataki removed him from cases in which he felt that the D.A. should have gone for the death penalty. Now, nowadays, uh, there is no death penalty in New York. Nobody talks about it other than me. Let's face it, the guy who executed a 19-year-old girl at the Burger King in East Harlem should be up for a death penalty. Cold-blooded execution. You know it, I know it, but nobody's going to call for that other than Curtis Lee. Winston Glenn, illegal alien from Jamaica, who had his snap card, got all the benefits, was hanging out in a uh, homeless shelter, and had originally worked in that Burger King. And I know the cops are getting a lot of credit from the 25th Precinct, and I say, hey, look, you're entitled, you did a good job, let's not go overboard. I know how DTs are. They went into that Burger King. They were doing their investigation. And somebody probably there or some of the people hanging on the outside, the homeless people who are always there on 116th in Lexington, probably say, hey, that guy used to work here. <laughs> the guy used to. I guarantee you 2020. 
Look, I've been robbed at McDonald's when I was a night manager. I know the procedures that the NYPD use. Whenever a fast food restaurant is robbed or it could be a retail establishment or a diner, first thing the DTs ask for, you think it could be an inside job or do you think it could have been done by a former employee? Am I a schmuck? Am I a putz? Hey, look, I'll give you credit at the 25th Precinct in East Harlem, but guys... You still have an unsolved case. I can't figure it out. Remember, it was January 1st. The ball had dropped in the night before. Andy Coleman was screaming in a drunken rage on CNN. Get that bum off the stage dancing with Charlene. De Blasio, who has wrecked the city. Great job. Great job, Andy Coleman. But cops were working two tours because so many, 20% of the NYPD had to call in sick because they were positive COVID-19. So you had a cop who was laid up in the parking lot of the 25th Precinct in East Harlem. That's between Lexington and Park, right in the shadow of the L, of the Metro North. It was about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. He was getting some rest in his private car on the driver's side before he had to go out on his second shift, and he got shot in the back of the head. I haven't heard any investigation of a shooting of a cop. Look, Every mutt, every skeleton in that neighborhood who was involved in criminal activity should have been tossed until they got the name or names of the person who started off the year getting shot in the back of the head. And it happened to be a member of their own fraternity and sorority, the NYPD. So let's not get too happy. They did a good job bringing Winston Glenn to justice. But let's see what Alvin Bragg does with this case. Because he has said the most severe penalties he would extract of a murderer is 20 years. 20 years means you only do 16, and then you'll be out again to do it all over again. But what can be done? We can go for Kathy Hochul to remove Alvin Bragg. And I'm doing that along with um, Rudy Giuliani's son, Andrew Giuliani, who, by the way, broke up a crime in the streets. We'll talk about that momentarily. But Andrew Giuliani running for the governorship. I'm supporting him in the Republican primary in the general election against Kathy Holcomb. Uh, we have a petition out on change.org. All you have to do is go to the Curtis Lee Facebook page and sign it. We're up to about seven, 8,000 signatures in just a few days. We want to get thousands and thousands of signatures to put the pressure on Kathy Holcomb to remove Alvin Bragg, of which she has the power to do that. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Nick calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard. Is the hawk talking out there, Nick? Oh, yeah, New Jersey. Oh, yeah, in New Jersey, sure. New York City is the greatest because the voter turnout is so well detesting. I mean, what is it, 7%? Uh, 65 is pro-occupy or saver, anti-rent seeker. But uh, 73% of 50, 50 and older don't want to roll over doctor, mechanic, or nanny hours. I mean, let alone they are non-compete. And non-concurrentable, but, I mean, ask a doctor to roll over and he'll send you to the psych ward. Now, now let me ask you a question overall, Nick. uh, From wherever you are in New Jersey, do you still consider New York City to be the greatest city in the world? Expert jury system. uh... He's going to keep talking to himself, Nick. But wait, we'll we'll, we'll pot him up. Go ahead, pot him up. So you could look at. 1800 to 1913, it was nearly constant. So we actually consume the same stuff. 
a uh, guy like him years ago would have been put out in Greystone. I mean, it would like, look like Shank, Shawshank Redemption. That was the uh, psychiatric facility that was sheer, scary. So, uh, drop dead, right? As Katsimatidis would say. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Nick. I had no idea what the hell you were talking about. I mean, that's a guy who's in need of an intervention for mental health care. But God bless you. You're listening to the number one news talk station in the nation. And yours truly who's on from 2 to 4 today and so nice. Then I come back and I do the trifecta. I'm on from 12 midnight tonight to 6 in the morning when the hawk will be talking. This is what I believe in. Payback, revenge. I'm an Old Testament guy. Even though I was raised New Testament, I believe eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You hit me, I'm no JC. I don't turn my cheek or my tuchus or my dupa. I hit you so hard, your mother will feel the vibrations. Anyway, my partner in removing Alvin Bragg is Andrew Giuliani, son of Rudy Giuliani, that I'm supporting to become the next governor. He had a situation. He was in uh, Lower Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea, and he was on his way to a young Republicans meeting of Gavin Wax. And all of a sudden he saw a woman in distress. A woman was being attacked by a guy. Uh, he was he was throwing blows on her. But, hey, she obviously uh, was through this before. She was throwing blows back. So he tries to get in between them and break it up. No cops at that moment. Uh, So he puts himself in jeopardy. They don't recognize him, so they continue the battle. And then this guy goes across the street and he gets a potted plant. Thankfully, it wasn't uh, uh, one of those potted plants that, you know, is uh, made of clay. And he throws it right at Andrew Giuliani and he hits him. Thankfully, it had the plastic instead of the clay pot, and he was able to flick it off. He was able to send them on their way. The cops came moments later, looking at Andrew Giuliani and said, Hey, man, this ain't like it was when your daddy was here. We would have been able to do something. Now we got handcuffs on. Nothing's going to happen to this guy uh, if, in fact, we do catch him. Because he's going to get a disappearance ticket, a.k.a. a desk appearance ticket, because the DA now is hugging Fug Alvin Bragg. Oh, I love to hug Fugs. I don't want to prosecute them. No. Release him with a disappearance ticket. And let's hope he does it again. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Oh, 
Love this jam. Sly and the Family Stone. It says it all. Got to stand for what you know is right. Stand. And it ain't right what's going on now. In that first hour, we had yet to find a person who could tell us uh, why that knee-jerk reaction is being repeated over and over. New York City, the greatest city in the world. It's not any longer. Stop it. You're never going to be able to fix it unless you recognize the fact that we're in peril. We're in decay. We're in decline. Just walk around. Ride the subways. Ride the buses. Try to go to a restaurant. Try to go to a gin mill. Try to go to a nightclub. 75% of the office space is empty. People are working from home. They have a better quality of life. They're spending more time with their kids. They don't have to fight the rat race. Two hours one way, two hours another way. All the mishigash, the stress, the tension. They don't have to run to a phalanx of emotionally disturbed persons, homeless people, thieves, and people who would threaten their lives. So why do we keep calling it the greatest city in the world? It's not. It is not. Oh. <laughs> this is too much. And then tomorrow, there'll be the burial of most of the victims of that fire up in the Bronx. And all the politicians are grandstanding. This is what should have been done. This is, oh, absolutely, smoke detectors, doors that lock. Meantime, uh, the city never did its job. Uh, following up on the inspections that indicated that the landlord was negligent, he was a slumlord. And a lot of the politicians who were grandstanding there, guess what? He contributed to their campaigns. They don't mention that. And the mayor, Eric Adams, who was quick to respond, good for him. Uh, but the landlord is one of his biggest donors. In fact, he had him on his panel when he was making the transition from Brooklyn Borough president to mayor-elect to advise him on housing in the city of New York. The guy's a slumlord who has contributed to all these politicians. We need to be putting him in the stocks right outside of that building that he's run into the ground, that he's milked for every nickel, nickel, diamond, penny he could. And let the whole world see, this guy's a slumlord. But the politicians, they're not going to tell you that because they love being wine-dined and pocket-lined by slumlords. And then the other thing, rightfully so, Eric Adams, the mayor, was there at the scene and he was extolling the virtues of the fire department that risked life and limb to go into that building to save lives, running out of oxygen with their tanks. Perilous work. And politicians, they were applauding the efforts, as we should, should do for the fire department. Problem was, some of these same politicians that I recognize, including the mayor, has accused the fire department of being systemically racist. Come on, I, I don't forget. And by the way, almost every one of those firefighters going in to fight that fire or holding the hoses or providing support for those that were going in into the smoke, into the fire, were white. 
Were they guilty of systemic racism? Do we give them uh, forgiveness? Uh, do we uh, say mea culpa? You're not, you're not guilty of systemic racism today. We applaud you as heroes. We've seen that before. You go from being heroes in this city to zeros. Look at the cops. Look at the firefighters. Look at the health care workers. The health care workers. Heroes one minute. Great job, 7 o'clock every night. Oh, you crawled into the belly of the beast, into the ICU, the ERs, when all of a sudden there weren't enough ventilators, ventilators, at the start of the lockdown and pandemic in March of 2020. And now, because you don't get your vax, mm, you're zeros. No work for you. In fact, you're, 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 we're going we're gonna to make, we're going to objectively make you the reason that this new variant is spreading. By the way, it's spreading so fast and furiously in mainland China, or what I like to call Red China. The first case has been uh, diagnosed in Beijing, a.k.a. Peking. They already had three cities in lockdown. Those cities, they average about 10 million uh, people apiece, 10 million people. And when the Red Chinese put you in lockdown, you don't go anywhere. They throw you in your apartment. They, they get plywood, two-by-fours. They nail you in. They drag you off to a gulag. You disappear. That's the way the Red Chinese deal with it. And what are we, two weeks away from the Winter Olympics in Beijing, and they already have their first Omicron case? You know that's going to multiply el rapidly. I have a way, though. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to come up with solutions, not just be a critic. I understand, you know, I can be very critical. I can be a contrarian. I can be a curmudgeon on some of this stuff. But I would say the greatest number of those refusing to get their vaccines, that's right, Dr. Fauci, uh, refusing to get their vaccines and booster shots are men, men more so than women. You look at the percentages, it's men. There is a study now. That will get every man in the world, including Aaron Rodgers, Djokovic uh, there, the tennis star in Australia, Joe Rogan, all the rest of them who refuse to get the shot and the booster. They'll be online. They'll be begging for a shot. It's called shrunken penis syndrome. That's right. There is a study out. Series of men got very sick uh, in July of this year. And uh, they were not vaxxed. They were not vaxxed. So... Per capita, per person, out of these men who had to be taken to the ICU, to the ER, some of them were put on ventilators. They now suffer from erectile dysfunction, and they lost one and a half inches of girth, of length. You want to bet that shrunken penis syndrome as a result of getting coronavirus, and especially of being unvaxxed, uh, not having boosters, that would make you more likely, right, to not only get coronavirus in its most virulent form, but you might end up in an ICU, you might end up in the ER. You tell a guy that as a result, there is a chance that you will have shrunken penis syndrome. You will lose an inch and a half of length, and you will have erectile dysfunction, and Viagra's not going to help you, Cialis Levitra. Guess what? Hey, please, give me the shot. Give me two shots. Put it in my tuchus, my arm. Uh, put it in my neck. You'll see Aaron Rodgers online, Djokovic in Australia, and Joe Rogan and the rest of them. Am I right or wrong on that? Oh, yeah, and then this is the classic. I love this. Here we go with the masks again. 
cloth masks are no good. So you, 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 board operator, you got a cloth mask. It's no good. Didn't you hear, you know, the guy who's always, like, spinning us like a top? Fauci. How old is Fauci? Is he older than Biden? Because, you know, Biden's been looking very feeble lately. Fauci, you think maybe retirement? Yeah, the pension. He'd have the biggest pension ever in the history of the federal government. And so now he's saying (laughs) that cloth masks are no good. Absolutely no good. You need either an N95. Please write this down, ladies and gentlemen, because I wonder if he has any stock in these companies that are making these masks like he's had stock before. You either have to have an N95, a KN95, or a KF94 mask. Anything else? A diaper on your face? No good. Uh, Three cloth cloth schmatas on your face? No good. Uh, Layers? Of high-tech filtering material is the only way to prevent the virus from entering your schnoz or your mouth. And it's got to be either an N95, a KN95 mask, or a KF94 mask. And get this, there are a lot of knockoffs out there. Really? I mean, I go down to Canal Street, right? Louis Vuitton, you know, Gucci, they're all knockoffs there. Nobody gets arrested anymore. Nobody even gets ticketed. So what are they going to do? Are they going to lock them up when they're selling these fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi N95, KN95, or KF94 masks? No, because nobody gets locked up in the city unless you kill somebody. But whoa, the new police commissioner of New York City, Sewell, not ready for prime time. When last we saw her, she was head of the detectives division in Nassau County. Yeah, that's to make you ready for prime time. Take note of this. You young huckleberries here at WABC, all of you in your 20s. I know a lot of you probably have fake vax cards, like a lot of young people do. It's like you used to get fake uh, ID cards. Remember in Times Square when you wanted to go drink uh, to be able to say you're 21 instead of 18? That's a booming business. Fake ID cards, fake vax cards. They're everywhere. So the brand-new police commissioner, Sewell, said... If you have a fake vaccine card, if we catch you, it's a felony crime. A felony. I could go into a Dwayne Reed. I could do shoplifting, walk out with two Dwayne Reed bags full of items. That's a misdemeanor. As you know, if I plead to uh, disorderly conduct, it's a violation and it goes away. But if I get caught with a fake vaccine card, the NYPD is going to charge me with a felony. So beware out there. All you fake vax card carriers, of which there are so many of them. The younger they are, the more likely they have a fake vax card that they're carrying. You are going to be charged with a felony crime. Uh. Oh, oh, yeah, and uh, Eric Adams, um, he still can't get out of this, uh, this circle. He's like circle jerking all of us here with his brother, Bernard. Bernard Adams. Oh, Bernard Adams, the greatest police officer of all time. Sergeant Friday, move over of Dragnet. Nobody was ever better in the service of the NYPD than Bernard Adams. Um, younger than Eric Adams. Uh, served 20 years, mostly in community affairs. Northern Queens. But now all of a sudden, he moved down to Virginia. University of Commonwealth in Virginia. I think uh, undergraduates, about 20,000. Postgraduates, uh, personnel, teachers, administrators, maybe 30,000 on campus. He (laughs) He was not the executive director of parking. 
He was the assistant executive director of parking. And you know what his duties were? He drove around campus all day to make sure that nobody was parked in the chancellor's slot. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. You know, that's one of the perks of being chancellor. And then nobody was parked in the handicapped parking. Or he would write you up. You know, write you up. Probably wrote more tickets at the University of Commonwealth in Virginia than he wrote in 20 years as a copper with the NYPD and Community Affairs. But Eric Adams keeps insisting that he is under a dire threat. I, I wasn't aware of this. You know, all during the Democratic primary, he had no police, to his credit, escorting him around. Then when he won the Democratic primary through ranked choice voting, I won the Republican primary and crushed Fernando Mateo, who hasn't been seen since. We were both offered uh, by police department intel, uh, NYPD security, 24-7-365. I said no. Eric Adams said no. For different reasons, I'll explain. But all of a sudden, Once Eric Adams took that ride on the J train on day number one and he saw the emotionally disturbed person there and the homeless person and the guy was drunk. And then remember, he witnessed three Latinos fighting in the streets uh, right on Kosciuszko there outside the Mickey D's. He realized, wow, this is a real serious problem. I need security from the NYPD. But out of nowhere, he said, I need my younger brother, Bernard Adams. And this is what he said to justify that. But let me be clear on this. Uh, My brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, Number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my security (laughs) in a very serious way. (laughs) And he keeps compounding it every day. He keeps justifying. First, he made his brother Brian. Uh, deputy uh, police chief, uh, high-ranking, $240,000 a year. Guy has no credibility to be a deputy police chief. Uh, you know, uh, that level of a white shirt. All the white shirts have immunity. You could be black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male or female. You're immunized when you're a white shirt. Nothing ever happens to you. So he couldn't sell that to the general public because we're aware this is nepotism. So now he all of a sudden said, I want him to be in charge of my personal security detail at $210,000 a year. So I figured, look, let me do a solid for Eric Adams. I realized all during the campaign he called me a liar, a buffoon, a clown, a racist. Me a racist. That's okay. It's all part of a campaign. So I dedicated my last week. These are hours I'll never get back in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, this was tough work. I went to a place you would never catch me. Bed, bath, and beyond. And they were having white sheet sales. And I stood right in that aisle, figuring if there were any white supremacists in New York City, where would they go? But Bed Bath & Beyond and take advantage of the white sheet sale. Not one. So when the clerks would come up to me and say, Curtis, why are you standing there? I said, look, I want to protect you heroic clerks who are victims of shoplifters here at Bed Bath & Beyond. Oh, they say, oh, thank you, thank you. I used the ruse. Come on, knock it off, Eric Adams. Knock this. Oh, I got to have my brother. You know why he wants his brother Bernard? It's very Clinton-esque. Remember how Bill Clinton used the state troopers in Arkansas to procure females? He was married. Eric Adams is not. Remember Paula Jones and all that? The state troopers would approach the women and say, the governor would like to see you. So in this case, Bernard, uh, what he's going to do is he's going to steer, deflect, and protect his brother. 
Look, his brother, he loves to sample nightlife. Uh, look, it's no problem. Uh, he could stay out to the wee hours in the morning because he's up at 6. He's doing his job, unlike de Blasio did for eight years, who was in a drug-induced psychosis. But he's a ladies' man. He's a um, skirt chaser. Everybody knows that. He's not married. But you know what happens? All of a sudden, you have a press conference, and now three, four, five of the ladies that you've been snacking on all happen to come because they're angry, and he's going to need his brother, Bernard, to run interference. Remember what it's called. Deflect, steer, deflect, and protect. That's why he wants Bernard Adams to be the head of his NYPD security detail. And as Paul Harvey used to say, now you know. The rest of the story. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Born on the Bayou, uh, Credence, Clearwater Revival. We were on a Woodstock retrospective uh, last night. First two hours from 12 uh, to 2 in the morning. And let me tell you, people were calling up fast and furiously with their memories of Woodstock in 69. And I did it in tribute to Michael Lang, who was the uh, promoter of that event. Brooklyn boy. If you saw the documentary like I did of Woodstock in 70, he's the voice. He's the person you see. Without him... There never would have been uh, 500,000 strong going up the uh, New York State Thruway in August of 69 to Max Yeager's uh, cow patch. Right near Bethel, New York, a.k.a. the town of Woodstock. But let's go to some of the callers because uh, later on i got to tell you of the Udiscrazia number one, the Shanda number one. A son is suing his mother. Because he says his mother has his baseball cards, his vintage tops baseball cards, a satchel page card, and a card, I don't know if it's Sandy Koufax, well, we'll get to that momentarily. This is maybe the most egregious situation happening in all of New York City. Anyway, let's go to Buddy, who's on the line in Brooklyn where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Buddy. Um. Also, aside from Michael Lang, Artie uh, Kornfeld did uh, Woodstock as well. Okay. All right. No, no, no. There were other people, but if you looked at the documentary, you saw uh, Michael Lang, and he was magnificent. And let's face it, he was one of our own, a Brooklyn boy. What happened to him? He disappeared. You know what it was? Doing too much of those micro dots. You know, with Mike, look at these young hipsters. We got 20-year-olds here. They have no idea what micro-dotting is. You know, you drop some acid. You trip out. You know, Dr. Timothy Leary, you know, peace, love, and happiness, the Woodstock era, as opposed to Altamont that took place three months later because naturally Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, they wanted to do uh, Woodstock on the West Coast. They said, we can do it better. No they hired the they hired the Hell's Angels. They gave him cases of beer, and all the Hell's Angels did was beat back the crowd all throughout the three days of Altamont. So much so that the leading group performing 
which was the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia, because they were beloved on the West Coast, they looked at the crowd and they said, we're not getting on that stage, Mick Jagger. <laughs> Are you kidding? This is like a prison riot in Folsom or San Quentin. We're out of here. <sighs> anyway, let's go to the phones. It's uh, Frank calling from Bayside where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frankie. Yes, hello, Frank. Hello? Hello, Frank! Hello! You see, Frank is the kind of guy, and there are a lot of you out there, and I don't fault you. Uh, You've developed a lot of wax in your ears over the years. It's natural. You know, it's like a beehive. A beehive makes honey. Uh, Your ears formulate wax. Uh, I would recommend that you listen to Frank Morano, the Mameluke, uh, who hosts The Other Side of Midnight, uh, 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays, who actually spent 20 minutes in a diatribe talking of how, because he suffers from wax buildup in his ears, which prevents him from hearing through the microphones, that he takes a paper clip and cleans the wax out. I kid you not. Let's go to Brian, who's calling all the way from Iron City, uh, Pittsburgh. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, where the hawk is talking, Brian. Hey, I have an uh, idea that crossed my mind, and I wanted to see what you thought of it. Yesterday, uh, on 77 WABC, uh, there was an interview with the police chief of the precinct that tracked down that guy that murdered the girl Burger King. And I know the public is interested in knowing how they did that, but the chief went into extremely minute detail on how they tracked him down. And it was things that the average person, even the average dirtbag, I don't think would think about. And obviously... This guy didn't think about it because he he did bring a change of clothes and he put some thought into the crime. But it just seemed like they were putting out a primer for other dirtbags on how to get away with their crimes because dirtbags listen to the radio, too. Yeah, yeah, but uh, let let, let me inform you, uh, Brian, and I appreciate you listening from Pittsburgh and not one of the – uh, massive talk radio uh, stations uh, there in Pittsburgh. In fact, hey, pay attention. Got to look at me. I'm the host here. Uh, I direct, you know. You don't look at me. You don't know what the hell is going on. But we appreciate that you're looking, uh, you're calling us from Pittsburgh. We get calls, especially on the other side of overnight, which I'll be on tonight. I do the weekend uh, the other side of overnight from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. And I will tell you this, calls come from all over the United States, parts of Canada, uh, parts of Europe. Nah, no calls we've gotten yet there, but I've done this before, so I know they're listening there. And even uh, people, uh, sailors who have gone down to Davy Jones's locker in the Bermuda Triangle between Bermuda and the Bahamas have said, one of the last things they were heard to have said is, I was listening to Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. Oh, it's great. Well, let me tell you about this case involving the 25th Precinct in East Harlem and the chief of detectives for the NYPD, who did a great job explaining how they followed up on my new details, most of it due to video, video that they have now that they wouldn't have had years ago when I started the Guardian Angels in 1979. 
uh, and other forms of uh, forensic evidence that they used to track down this guy, Winston Glenn, again, an illegal alien from Jamaica who had a snap card, who was on welfare, who was living in a shelter, who had worked at that Burger King and other Burger Kings. How the hell was he able to do that as an illegal alien? Nobody has asked that question. I credit James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, that you can listen to Monday to Fridays from 4 to 5, and then a great show Saturday morning he did this morning from 8 to 10. He was the first to bring that to our attention. Nobody wants to answer that question. But the other thing is that's most important here that you need to know about the Burger King execution of that 19-year-old is that John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator of Red Apple Media, put up a $10,000 reward. It was matched by the NYPD, an additional $10,000 reward. Burger King, with its billions of dollars, the second largest fast food franchise in the world, didn't put up a wooden nickel. Not a wooden nickel. Not the franchise owner there who's making money hand over fist on 116th and Lexington Avenue. You know he's making money because it's open 24 hours a day. That's how you know a fast food emporium is making mad cash. And now this young lady, the 19-year-old, has to be flown to her native island of Puerto Rico to be buried. And they're not paying for any of the funeral costs. And nobody's taking Burger King to task. How crazy is this? They're part of a consortium, uh, one of the largest fast food consortiums in the world. They own 7,000 Burger Kings in the United States. Only 50 are owned by the corporation. The others are franchised out. They own 18,500 Burger Kings around the world. It's called RBI, Restaurant Business uh, Something. And they own Popeyes, and they own Tim Hortons, lousy coffee. I had it first in Canada, and then they expanded into the United States. Horrible coffee. And they haven't put up a wooden nickel. They need to be shamed. They need to be embarrassed. I mean, this is their brand that's effective. But you know something? The only thing they're interested is in the bottom line and you buying Whoppers. So that boycott, no, I don't want to say boycott. That's what Al Slim Shady Sharpton did years ago, and that went nowhere. But, you know, think about it. Make a phone call to Burger King, their uh, executive offices down in Miami Beach. Make a call say, why the hell are you not paying for the funeral expenses, for the flight? Why did you not add to the reward? Why have you not? E- I, I don't even believe they've issued a statement about this execution uh, and in their Burger King, they're on 116th Street. This guy knocked out the teeth of the manager, menaced other employees, shot the young lady, 19-year-old, as she hid behind another cash, uh, a cash register. She gave him $100. He wanted her to get the money out of the safe. That's how you knew he already knew what goes on in that Burger King because he had worked there in 2020. And trust me, people probably dropped dime on him. And help the cops resolve that crime. Up next, maybe the crime of our lifetime here in America. A son is suing his mother in state Supreme Court because he says that at a late age, she's 82, she refuses to give him back his top baseball collection. And he's going to sue her for every nickel. Dime and penny she has. Now tell me that's not a disgraziata. That's not a shanda.
Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Democrats in this area, and then we wonder why they want to hug thugs, turn them loose, so they can rampage all over your rights and force you to live in solitary confinement. Not the guys and gals on Rikers Island. Oh, no, no. You're forced to live in solitary confinement. But let's flip this script momentarily into what may be the most egregious case of all time. There's this Mamalu Christopher Trencher a.k.a. Treacherous, who has gone into Manhattan State Supreme Court and he has sued his 82-year-old mother, Carol. Can you believe this guy? And what is it over? Because he claims that she purloined his 1953 tops, Ralph Kiner, a 1953 top Satchel Page card worth more than $25,000. <laughs> the mother of Carol says, what is he talking about? I haven't damaged them. He gave them to me. He left them here in a shoebox. He said, Mom, uh, I know you're a baseball fan. I know you lived in that era in the 50s. Obviously, I was birthed in 54. By the way, what great... Uh, Baseball player, American League. My team, with the interlocking NNY, hit his first home run ever off of Satchel Page, who really didn't get to pitch in the major leagues, Cleveland Indians, until well off into his career because he was forced to play in the Negro Leagues. They wouldn't accept him in Major League Baseball until the color line was broken by Jackie Robinson. And then, of course, Ralph Kiner, who used to play in Forbes Field in Pittsburgh, which was like Yankee Stadium, you know, at center field, deep right field. And the guy was like a home run hitting machine. And then he's best known for Kindness Corner, as you know, doing the post-game show of the Mets. And he was like half in the bag. So we got that established. So this guy, Christopher Trencher, a.k.a. Treacherous, insists that he these were his baseball cards. His baseball cards. And he's gone to court. Now, interesting, his mother, until she retired, was a lawyer herself. And she, she called this legal action. She said, it's so sad. I don't understand this. I birthed this son of mine. 
And now he's turned on me. I'm 82 years old. I don't have enough time left in this world. On occasion, I like to go into the Florsheim uh, shoebox and look at these old cards. He gave them to me. And all of a sudden, the son said, oh, no, I want those cards. And so his mom, Carol, said, look, look, pretty soon I'm not for this world. I'm going to bequeath them to his kids, my grandchildren, who he won't even let me see. Is this not the worst of the worst? Oh, I can remember as a kid, man, I used to collect those Topps baseball cards, end up chewing that, uh, remember that little brick gum they would give you inside? Bad gum. It wasn't like Bazooka Joe's. But you chew it up and end up going for a dental appointment and having a cavity after cavity. I had shoebox full. Unfortunately, I disfigured them. You know what I did? I took my big pen out. And every time one of these guys was traded to a different team, I wrote the team at the top that he was traded to, making them no longer valuable at all because they'd been disfigured. I remember I was uh, playing my friend. He was younger than me, Sam Liebman. And remember the games we used to play in order to win uh, Tom's baseball cards from our adversary, flipsies, where you would match heads or tails, or topsies, where you would fling them up against the wall, and if they landed on top, that was your cards. And let's face it, we at times would take advantage of uh, younger kids, uh, and we would hope that they'd pull out their Mickey Mantle card, their Roger Maris, their Willie Mays, their Hank Aaron, or for the Jewish kids, the Sandy Koufax card, and then we'd win it in flipsies or topsies. And I remember at that point, Sam Liebman uh, started to cry, and I said, hey, no, no problem, kid, here's the cards back. You know, I, uh, it was an exhibition, right? Uh, uh, look, it was just practice. Oh, the baseball cards. I had boxes and boxes, shoe boxes of those top cards. And I disfigured so many of them. That's it. And you know what I told my mother back then? Ah, go ahead, keep them. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you want to look at them. My mom wasn't a baseball fan. Give them to anybody that enjoys baseball cards. But what a difference. This guy, Christopher Trencher, a.k.a. Treacherous, suing his mother at 82 years old, Carol, because he says she won't give him back his two top, top baseball cards, a 1953 Ralph half-in-the-bag Kiner and a 1953... No, he wasn't. Satchel Page was not a drinker. He was just deprived of a great Major League Baseball career because he couldn't cross that color line until after Jackie Robinson. Uh, as um, Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. I'm going to follow this case. Uh, in fact, if they allow me into court, because, you know, now they have virtual court again because of COVID-19 restrictions, I'm going to eye-fornicate and mad-dog this Christopher Trencher. I'm going to find out where he lives. I'm going to go and have a conversation with him. I'm going to say, hey, Christopher, huh? you're not a Mama Luke. Okay, and say, you're going to sue your mother over baseball? Really? You think I should hit him so hard that his mother would feel the vibrations? Oh, hey, look, I'm not going to get arrested. Nobody gets arrested in uh, Manhattan, right? Unless you kill somebody, and maybe not even that. So I'm safe and secure. Don't worry about it. 
Want to get to your phone calls, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So nice, I'm scoring the trifecta, the Trinity, the Troika broadcast. I'll be back tonight, midnight to 6. The other part of midnight on the weekends, Frank Morano handles it Monday through Friday. Then I do battle with the aggressive progressive Christopher Hahn tomorrow from 3 to 5, and then to finish off the weekend, because it's all broadcasting Curtis all the time on the weekends here at WABC. I do 9 to 1 before I pass off the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to the Mameluke Frank Morano, and then the most listened to of the many hours that I do on the weekend, 12 midnight to 1. We talk animal issues with my wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer, not just uh, dogs and cats, all kinds of uh, animal issues. In fact, tomorrow we'll be talking about dolphins as they've been weaponized by militaries. As Hamas has said, the Israeli Defense Forces weaponized Flipper and are killing Hamas warriors as we speak on the beaches of Palestine. A.K.A. Israel, depending on where you move the geographic dial. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Uh, do me a favor. Give me uh, 15, the Ronettes. Uh, because, you know, tonight, Cousin Brucey is on 6 to 10. Followed by Tony Orlando without dawn from 10 to 12 before I come on at 12 midnight. And then I think I'm going to do a little retrospective on the nut job screwball, Phil Spector. And who is he married to who just passed away this week? I'm right, the lead singer of the Ronettes. Oh, I'm going to be talking about the Ronettes. I'm going to be spinning stacks of wax. I'm going to be very pertinent. To the story of the day involving those figures who were so important to our life. I mean, you know, before there was uh, Diana Ross. By the way, Diana Ross has something in common with me. She was born on March 26th. She's an Aries, like me. I didn't really like uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes. I liked the Ronettes. Yeah, East Harlem girl. East Harlem girl. Unfortunately, passed away, very abused by Phil Spector, that nut job, that screwball, who himself went on a murder rap out in La La Land. Anyway, let's finish up by um, going to the phones. It's Carol in West New York. Your turn to be heard where the hawk is talking, Carol. Hi there, Curtis. Yes, it's very cold here. That's for sure. Um, I collected baseball cards. I love baseball from a very young age and I had shoe boxes worth of cards. My parents never went near them. They didn't even touch them. They didn't even look at them. I mean, I don't I don't understand this craziness. Now yeah? inter- interesting Carol, uh the factory for Tops baseball cards was right there in Jersey City, the entrance to the Holland Tunnel. Huge factory, armed guards there. They would pat down their employees because, you know, they would print them out and they thought that some of them may have uh, absconded some of the cards. So they would they would be stopped, questioned and frisked every time that they would uh, leave the uh, printing plant. And that's where all these top cards were manufactured. So did you grow up in West New York? Carol's gone. What the hell happened? Hey, Carol. 
Hey, I do your lifeline. I wanted to find out how did a girly girly end up collecting baseball cards. Anyway, let's go to Morty in New Jersey, back to back, belly to belly, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Morty. And cold on, Matt. Yes, Morty. Hello. Hello, Morty. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. We're having problems with our discronificator here. Uh, Spectrometer. This happens from time to time, ladies and gentlemen. I've been doing talk radio for 30 or more years. And let me explain. Uh, You're AM, which means active-minded. So your signal that you're receiving on your stream or on your app, on your laptop, or in your old-fashioned Philips radio that we all grew up with, or your little Sony transistor radio. That comes from our tower in Lodi, which is right next to the strip club Bada Bing, featured in The Sopranos. That's where our head engineer Dan hangs out most of the time. And he has to go up there and do adjustments. Because sometimes the powers from our FM affiliate out in the Hamptons, WLIR, converges on our AM signal through the spectrometer. And as a result, as a result of that, there is no ability for us to separate it. So if you go up on our rooftop here, our our, uh, mini antennas that bounce off the signal to our huge antenna in Lodi, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound freezes up. So when I'm off the air today at 4 o'clock, I'm going to go up there because also my pigeons are up there. They follow me every day I come to WABC. There's probably about a 1,000 pigeons now that follow me. I am truly the pigeon man of New York City. And even when I take the subways, that's my limousine, they know instinctively, like homing pigeons, because that's what some of them used to be before they were lured away from their coop, and all of a sudden they joined what they call the pigeon rats, you know, who no longer have a coop, who are no longer bred as Boston baldies or homers, and yet I love them. And a lot of people take me to task. And uh, today I know where they are. They're not here on the ledge. Oftentimes they're on the ledge. It's too cold. So they're upstairs right next to the antenna, which when it's pulsating out uh, on the spectrometer and the uh, discronificator, it heats the place up. So you'll see a lot of the pigeons surrounding are mini, are mini uh, transistor here. As he communicates with our main transistor out in Lodi. Now you know sometimes how we end up with those discronificator spectrometer problems. Uh, we will put in a SOS call to Dan, who's probably half in the bag at Bada Bing, uh, getting a Brumsky or a lap dance, and tell her he's got to climb the tower. He's got to knock the ice off. This is what happens. When it ices up on the top of the tower, the tower no longer can receive your signals. So understand that. Now... Uh, I think, uh, let's see, Kevin has gone up to the roof there. He's tried to knock off some of the ice from the towers. Let's see if it's working again. Let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn, uh, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tommy. Grocery Dungeon. I've been celebrating New Year's. Oh, good, good, good. Cut up the fish list. I was waiting. I was going to share it with you. You took off off to Westchester. Did you come back yet? Are you still up no, there? No, no, no. He was telling me how great New York City uh, was in the Bronx, right? And I said, how come you're going up to a pizzeria on Central Avenue in Yonkers in Westchester? And then he hung up because he got all f- flummoxed. Well, I don't know about that. 
but I'm going to tell you something about New York City. What made it great, in the past, you have to look. Oh, by the way, what is a, a Sammy Davis Jr. autograph worked? Wow, Sammy Davis Jr., who uh, the other weekend on my other side of midnight on the weekends, we had Al call up, remember the publicist uh, for 20th Century Fox, who said that Sammy Davis Jr. had a falling out with the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra. Uh, I never really followed up and questioned him on that, but I'm really going to have to delve into that. I asked Joe Piscopo. I mean, he's our Sinatra expert. You listen, Ramsey Subaru, the S- Sinatra two-hour program. It's amazing from 6 to 8 on Sunday nights. I ne- Did you ever know that Sammy Davis Jr. had a falling out with Frank Sinatra? Yeah, they were the Rat Pack. They were together. No, My no, they were together. Met- they were together. They were like brothers in solidarity. But I never, ever knew Tommy that they had a falling out. I got to find out more about that. Before Frank Morano, the Mama Luke beats me to the punch on that. Anyway, let's go back to Carol. Uh, unfortunately, Carol... Uh, uh, Disquantificator lost you uh, from across the Hudson River. My no, apologies. I'm not cut off my, my apologies. And I'm not even across the pond either. Yeah. At least not yet. So um, how how is it as a young girl you were collecting Topps baseball cards? I was a tomboy. I got interested both in music and sports at a very young age. And my father indulged me. He he used to take me to the baseball games. He used to take me, because he knew somebody that worked for Madison Square Garden. He used to take me to see the Knicks, the Rangers, everything. Wow. He indulged my interest. What a great father you had. But, Carol, uh, you know, the Topps baseball card factory where they used to be manufactured, it wasn't far from you. It was in Jersey City, uh, the entranceway to the Holland Tunnel. Whatever became of all your Topps baseball cards? Um, I wound up selling most of them eventually, but uh, I hung on to them for a long time. I'm 64 years old now. I turned 64 in December. I got three years on you, Carol. And what do you think of Christopher Trencher, a.k.a. Treacherous, who is suing his 82-year-old mother, your namesake, Carol, because he says, oh, she stole my 1953 Topps Ralph Kiner and my 1953 Topps Satchel Page worth about $25,000. And his mother said, I only got a few years left. You gave these to me when you were a kid. I'll bequeath them to my grandchildren that you won't let me see. But I'll be damned if I give them to you, Christopher. And he says, well, guess what, Mother Dearest? I'm going to sue you for every nickel, diamond, penny you have in Manhattan Supreme Court. What a shanda. What a disgrazia. I'm going to meet this guy, Christopher. Hit him, sir.